0: This episode is a conversation with Morgan Zegers. We discuss the myth of democratic socialism. It first aired on November 20th, 2020. At that time, this podcast was sponsored by Texas JSA. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your friends. It's free, just like our country. So I want to talk, of course, about socialis- socialism, capitalism, and yes, but before I do, I sort of want to understand your personal transformation, uh, becoming this, this powerful, young, uh, vibrant fighter against socialism in America today. So how does someone in high school reading Feminine Mystique go to become the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism?
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just thinking I should mention that the feminine mystique is right behind me on my bookshelf. In high school, it was one of the first books that I chose to read on my own. It wasn't like a required reading or anything in English class. And I was starting to feel that that sense of empowerment. And I even had a picture of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton in college when they were like young, woke, hipster type people. And I was so inspired by that. I was just inspired to get involved. I remember Hillary Clinton spoke in Saratoga, New York, where I'm from, for her new book. And I told my mom I was going to try and go to it. And she was like, Morgan, you know, she doesn't have the best reputation. There's this thing called Benghazi. And I was just completely clueless about it at the time. And so As I started to become a taxpayer in upstate New York, I was a diner girl at the local diner, I worked in bars, I worked at a car service shop. Once I started paying my taxes in the highest tax state in the country at the state and local level, in one of the most corrupt states, one of the most regulated states, which is New York under Governor Cuomo, I started to realize that I wanted a government that respected me, respected my taxpayer dollars, and I'm clearly not getting that as a New York resident. So that inspired me to get a little bit more into what was happening. But the thing that really inspired me to get involved the most is that my dad is a colonel in the military. He served in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And so in high school, I walked into the local VFW one day, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and I saw this bar and a jukebox. And I I'd never expected what I was going to see, but I was not expecting to see a bar and a bunch of old guys just sitting around it kind of hanging out. And I immediately joined, I became a ladies auxiliary officer. I went to every monthly meeting, did fundraisers, did the parades, I sold the poppies walking in the parades. And from then on, I was just hooked and I wanted to stay involved in the fight for the future of our country.
0: Interesting, very interesting. A lot of people say that Republicans and conservatives uh, blow out of proportion, the number of socialists or communists in college uh, in academia. What has been your experience in that regard? When you were going to college, did you see a, a lot of communists or socialists running around, or uh, do people on the right uh, uh, think there's more than there actually are?
1: That's a great point, actually, and I'm glad you asked that because when I was first getting involved, I, I assumed anybody who's like, ah, oh, socialism is on the rise or communism is on the rise. I figured that was like a red scare tactic, just messaging point, just to kind of get people riled up some red meat. And the more that I experienced the radicalization of my peers in college, I actually had a communist roommate who had a a poster of Mao Zedong, Lenin, Stalin, Karl Marx, and Fidel Castro on her wall. And it was just some crazy stuff, the way that they saw socialism and even communism as the more moral choice to evil capitalism. I I was really surprised. And the more I started talking to people in the conservative movement, they said, Morgan, that's a little extreme. And I was like, what if we started a group against socialism? And I started speaking out about it more and, and doing speeches when I was on the campaign trail in 2018. And I would talk about socialism. And people were like, don't you think you're kind of pushing it? A little bit? Don't you think that's a little extreme? Well, flash forward a year later, and now you have Marxists and Antifa carrying hammer and sickle signs around you have the top TikTok stars with Black Lives Matter in their bios. You have people promoting like Teen Vogue, promoting Antifa saying that they are the great revolutionary figures of our time. It's really disturbing. Marxism is on the rise. 70% of young Americans would now vote for a socialist and 58% of young Americans want socialism over capital capitalism for the future of the country. So this is a very serious topic. And most importantly, my message is that this is not going away after one election. I spoke at CPAC this year in March. And almost every question I got um, or every interview I did, they all at least asked one question about, so Bernie Sanders is about to drop out. Come on, Morgan. Did you just win the fight against socialism? Have, have you defeated it? Are you going to close up shop now? Is yas going to be over with? People were like, how are you going to fundraise? How are you going to get people interested now that Bernie's out? you guys, this is, it's a generational battle. And when Bernie Sanders stepped down, he talked about, yeah, we may have lost this little this little fight for the campaign, but in the end, we are winning a generational war. So that's what I want us at Young Americans Against Socialism to be equipped for, one day AOC is gonna run for president. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for her radical messaging and her desire to transform the country? I don't think so yet.
0: Uh, I'm sure you get this critique all the time, um, but, What about the Nordic countries? I mean, their socialism isn't all that bad, right?
1: Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head right there. The left has been so genius and so successful at teaching our generation. Even though we don't understand what socialism is, we're, like, so quick to support it. And I've gone on to a couple campuses, especially the UIC. I think it's the University of Illinois-Chicago. I went on with a camera just not to, like, make fun of them, not to, like, embarrass them by not having them not know the answer, but to instead document how many students in just one hour would be asked do you prefer socialism over capitalism? And why do you have a socialist country? You want to be like, every single one of them was like, oh yeah, definitely not capitalism, socialism. It's this knee-jerk reaction. And then they have no idea why. Like some people were like, well, you know, when we all come together on our issues, I think we're going to have better solutions. And I just wanted to be like, oh, you mean like a legislature? Like, Policy making. You know, we have some great systems in this country where we have capitalism, we have that respect for private business and private property combined with public policy that promotes justice and rule of law and protects those rights. So that's the beauty of capitalism. It's not this unfettered system of rich people taking advantage of poor people and slavery. It's a system of both public policy and private property and private business. And both of the two are able to kind of exist and coexist together for the betterment of society. Um, But when you consider that, that idea of, oh, well Nordic Europe is socialist and we're gonna end up like them if we get rid of capitalism, we have to figure out how to fight back against the left because they are genius at this messaging. For some reason, They are operating outside of reality. So how do you have a conversation and debate with people who are not going to admit basic fact? If they're going to reject or deny basic history and economics about the economics of Venezuela and the economics of Denmark and Finland and Sweden, how do we fight back against them? My counter to that is, you know what, let's do firsthand testimony from people who have actually lived through socialist countries, who have actually listened to progressive social justice warriors like Hugo Chavez or Fidel Castro promise to advocate for social justice, and in the end, implement socialism that ruined the country and turned it into a dictatorship. That's the kind of storytelling that I want to approach because it's the only way to get around the left's denial of basic fact.
0: You know, I, you. You mentioned an important point, and I, I want to sort of get you to uh, expand on it maybe a little bit further. Um, yeah. You said so many young people don't know what socialism is. So, Morgan, what is your definition of socialism?
1: Yeah, and, and so I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Seventy percent of young Americans currently say they would vote for a socialist. I am actually very positive about this whole situation, and I try and get people more excited about the future of the fight against socialism. Because in the end, seventy percent of young Americans do not want to seize the means of production. They don't want to nationalize major industries, get rid of private business, and that's what socialism is uh, the definition the dictionary. It's not something that's archaic. It's not something that hasn't been done in hundreds of years. It's happened. It's happened in previous countries. It happened in the USSR. It happened in China under Mao. It happened in Cuba. It happened in Venezuela. And now the same steps are happening in the United States of America. And for some reason, for some reason, the left is acting like we are immune from it. And what's interesting is I just did a CBS interview a documentary with them and it's going to come out later and it's just about socialism. So they're interviewing pro-socialist people, I think, and then also some people from YES and some people from socialist countries on our team. And his question was, but Morgan, you're talking to me about, about this, this implementation of socialism, even in a democracy, leading to a socialist dictatorship, but don't you think there has to be a way where we can implement it with a little more democracy? and prevent that dictatorship from happening so that we get everybody what they need, but it doesn't turn into a dictatorship. And that's the problem we're facing. That is exactly the problem. P- people keep thinking, well, what if we do it again, but we what we do it in the name of the people? That's the lie that happens every single time. The socialist leaders promise to give the working class power. They promise to, to make the 1%, the millionaires, the billionaires pay their fair share. They say, we're gonna put Businesses in the hands of the working people. Collective ownership is what they say. And what that really means is getting rid of private businesses, taking private property, and saying, I'm going to do this in the name of the people. And in reality, it's just a few people at the top in the regime that are now seizing the means of production and taking power over someone's private business. That's what it really is. And it's all done in this phony name of collective ownership.
0: So I think we have to discuss education. So what can be done to better educate the American youth about socialism?
1: Yeah, and and this is a two-pronged approach. From the research that I've done, from the people I've spoken to, we have to come figure out what to do with the two generations that have now been lost over failed education. And I I don't think that the rise of socialism is just because of what happened or what was left out of the classroom. I should say that there's also the cultural Marxism on the rise, there's pop culture. There's a lot of uh, aspects playing into this. But when you break it down, I don't think we'd be in such a serious issue of 70% of young Americans supporting socialism if they got the basic education in both middle school and high school. So what do we do now that two generations, both millennials and Gen Z, have been through the education system, they were not properly taught it, and now they are completely ignorant on the issue? That puts them at a position where they're going to hear the socialist lies of the left, and they're not going to have any red flags go off in their head because they have no idea that it's been Promised before that it's all happened before that this is the same step that happens in every country where they start to get these promises of utopia, these promises of free things, of of rights for everybody, and um, we have to come to grips with that and figure out how to fight back. Our little way is these testimonies. But then for the future, I mean, this is really something that I hope people can start to figure out. And we're working on this as well. We have to figure out how to not just be reactive to what happened to Gen Z and millennials. We also have to be proactive and prevent this from happening to another American generation. Right now, nothing's changed. Right now, it's still going to happen. We're going to raise another American generation that hates this country, that doesn't respect our founding documents, that's going to tear down our founders' statues all over again. We're going to have to go through this all over again with the next generation until we figure out what the silver bullet is to fixing the problem of teaching economics and history in classes. I think as well we should fix how we teach personal finance. Some people are talking about not only economics and history being reformed, but also personal finance, reforming that would lead to less students going into such crazy amounts of student debt because they have a better understanding of the mess they're getting themselves into. So there's a lot of opportunities here, but something that I am looking into and I would, I would love to work with JSA on this and, and see if there's any partnerships here. I'm kind of figuring out who would be interested in this right now, but there's this thing called required Holocaust education and it's passed at a state level and it basically is like three or four days of required Holocaust teaching Not necessarily about like what happened during the Holocaust, but more so how did it start to rise? How did the leaders come to power? What promises were made? And how did that not come to fruition? How did they seize power? And it's all taught in the language of the bills is more of like, in order to prevent the horrors of the Holocaust from happening again. Now, millions of people died in the Holocaust, and that's horrible. We absolutely should have required teachings. But we also, because over 100 million people are probably said to have died because of communism, we should also be required to have three to four days of required education on communism. Been talking about how Marxism, socialism, and communism are all connected. Those lies start with these utopian promises, and then it turns into a dictatorship real quick. So I think that that's a really great, um, interesting step to maybe consider for the future that state by state uh, policy change.
0: So you've talked about how these countries sort of gradually transition into these more authoritarian socialist states. But, Morgan, do you really think that we could have Venezuelan style socialism here? the United States of America?
1: Absolutely. And that brings me back to the testimonies that we do. We specifically want to paint a very clear picture for young Americans here who have it so good and who, I think, honestly, they just take it for granted. They don't think that anything bad can happen here because they live in such a bubble. We are really blessed. We won the lottery being born in the United States. And because of that, we haven't really experienced very many hard times. Yes, we do have challenges in our country, but nothing like having to fight for our own survival or protect ourselves from an oppressive government. So it's really hard for us to imagine. And I don't blame young Americans for not being able to imagine something like that. It's very serious. And so what I love about these Venezuelan stories that we have coming out in September, they are all people from the middle class who lived cushy middle-class lifestyles, could not have imagined what ended up happening, And they talk about how one day the government came to their family small business with paperwork and said, we're going to be taking this over. You better be out in two days. They talk about what it was like the moment they spoke up on their college campus saying, but maybe people are fleeing this country because of what's happening here. Maybe they're going for better opportunities and they get expelled and then they have to flee the country because the Chavistas, the collectivos are coming after them. They talk about what it was like to go from middle, middle middle-class living in Venezuela, going to the grocery store, having their food, going on dates, going to the bowling alley, going to movie theaters, and then all of a sudden not even being able to afford ramen noodles. And so that's that really clear picture that we want to paint with uh, very detailed storytelling. And hopefully that can get young Americans to understand the threat and how easily we can be corrupted that same way. We are not immune just because we're in America. We are exceptional in the fact that we have these founding documents, but we're not exceptional in the fact that we could be taken over by a Marxist movement, just like every other country that has suffered from marxism has, has experienced before
0: this is another uh criticism of capitalism that we we hear another. all the time uh, so i'm sure you get almost tired of, of responding to these, <laughs> these criticisms no, But what about economic liberty i mean under capitalism can we really all be economically free uh,
1: Another great question. Great job. Um, <laughs> you're really hitting all of them today. But uh, that reminds me, I don't know if you've seen this. I recommend everybody go look up this video after because it really helps you understand the kind of messaging and how the left's been so successful. If, first of all, if you read The Road to Serfdom by Hayek, it talks about how socialists, this was written like 100 years ago, so it's not like it was recent it's still happening today and he kind of foreshadowed it. He talks about socialists having to change the meanings of basic words that are always used in society. So think uh, freedom, morality, justice, fairness, equality, that kind of stuff. Um, What was interesting is a couple years ago I saw Bernie Sanders, or maybe last year, I saw a Bernie Sanders campaign video that talked about what is freedom and it had just a bunch of young people get on the screen it like flash from one to the other. And they all go, what is freedom, 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 freedom. And then they go, am I free if I have student loan debt? Am I free if I have high health care costs? Am I really free if I only work my dead end job to get health care insurance? Oh, my gosh. Now. Yes, you are free in every single one of those situations. You are free. It's a crappy situation. I don't want to be in any of those situations either. But it's a crap situation. It doesn't mean you're not free, though. What is freedom? The video follows it up with saying, no, you're not free in those situations. Freedom comes from economic freedom. And economic freedom comes from Medicare for All. Student loan forgiveness, free college for all, the Green New Deal, XYZ socialist program, the government taking care of you in this way and that. And then it says, yeah, it says something about how, like, that all is what uh, democratic socialism is all about. And so, what they're doing there is changing what freedom literally is. And so, even in the land of the free, that's why you have young Americans who feel oppressed, who feel like, I'm not even free in America, because freedom is no longer. The freedom to take care of yourself, the freedom to live your own life, the freedom to not be oppressed by a government. It is freedom from the responsibility of taking care of yourself, freedom from the burden of being that comes with having individual liberty. And so, no wonder young people want the government to take their problems away because that's what they're being told freedom is freedom from that kind of responsibility. So, getting back to that core issue what is economic freedom? How do we Teach our generation how cool capitalism is, how empowering capitalism is, if they don't even want to take care of themselves. It all comes down to the, the values that we have. And that's why it's more than just what our public education system is teaching our kids. It's about the values that we're passing down. And it really goes back to even just dinner table conversations from a young age, making sure we're passing. Values, not, not conservative, you don't have to push your political views onto your young, your young kids, but instead teaching our children what it means to take care of yourself, take care of your neighbor, and be there for your community. A strong community definitely starts with strong individuals and strong families.
0: Is being against socialism a partisan issue?
1: Oh, I would say so, I, I, more and more so. And I'll tell you why. So with Young Americans Against Socialism, we get lots of views. So one of our videos has 13 million views. We average about 500,000 views on our testimonies. We try and do two a month and we have 10 coming out between September and November. And so we have goals for them, but a lot of the times they go viral on Facebook and on Facebook, they're seen by a bunch of patriots who love what we do. And they're just really excited to see young Americans that are fighting socialism because usually people our age love socialism. So it's more so that they're Excited, they maybe donate $10 after they see it. They want to help us out, they want to spread the message. That's awesome. But a big part of what we do is reaching center to left leaning young Americans. Think of like the frat bros, the sorority sisters who are going to hear what AOC is saying on her Instagram live as she's baking cookies with her dog and be like, Wow, I am oppressed. I do have it bad here in America. She's right. She's right. She's so fresh and oh my God, so many cool ideas. That's what I'm worried about. And so we want to meet those kind of apolitical but easily susceptible um, minds in the best way possible, most creative way possible. A lot of that is through social media influencers. The problem now is that we have social influencers who are centrist or left-leaning and are against socialism, but this is how bad the AB environment is now, Ben. They don't even want to post the video. They're scared because being against socialism is that political these days That they're scared to even go out with it because they will be attacked by the mob by just posting a video of a person of color from a socialist country immigrating to the United States and telling their story. You would think that that checks a lot of boxes for the left but nope they're against socialism in that video and so they're going to get a lot of attacks from the mob. I remember I started this when I first launched this last year. I I launched it August 2019 so we're coming up to our one-year anniversary. Somebody from my high school started posting it and saying that I lacked basic human decency for starting young Americans against socialism. So that just says, it shows you how hostile the environment is. And the fact that we can't even find centrists who would be willing to share our content of immigrants coming to the United, coming to the United States after escaping a dictatorship really says a lot about the situation we're in in America.
0: I think it was, and the, the internet will correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, they always do. I think it was Lord Halifax to Winston Churchill, and he said that Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. You know, Morgan, it seems like you've mobilized social media and sent it into battle against um, socialism. So I just have a few more questions for you, but one of them is how have you built such a successful social media campaign?
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to just try new things. We're trying to start new conversations. We're not interested in reacting to the news every week and just complaining. We're really trying to come up with original content and starting new conversations. You can easily make fun of young Americans all you want on social media for not understanding history or economics. You can laugh at them. You can joke about them. You can complain about them saying they're ruining the country, but we're really trying to meet them. And so I talk with the people on my team, the leadership, and I say, Do not look to other conservative groups to mimic their content. Don't say this is what people usually do, so we're going to do it. Follow every liberal. Leftist influencer on social media. You can and let me know what they're doing Let me know how they're talking to their people to their followers. I want to have that kind of content I want to have that kind of messaging but for capitalism because they say that socialism is more moral more just more equalizing I would say capitalism is that and so I really want to take on less tactics in Messaging because they are very genius at it. They're very smart at it. I commend them, but unfortunately they're pushing a very dangerous idea to a bunch of ignorant minds And it's creating millions of useful idiots out there. So that's what we're all about. That's why we try and do that kind of social media influencer approach. We've partnered with other pages. That's how a lot of our um, followers have come. We just ask them to share our videos. We'll maybe pay them a little bit and get into that partnership. And now what's more concerning more and more is we're trying to find those partners from centrist pages, from from maybe even left-leaning pages of liberals, Democrats, who should be classical liberals, who would be interested in sharing our apolitical, nonpartisan videos, and they aren't interested. It's very, very Um, telling of how the environment is like these days, but we're gonna keep pushing. And of course, our, our following has grown so much because we have been really embraced by a lot of the more conservative pages on the right. They do share our content. We have a lot of supporters. Nikki Haley's endorsed us. Newt Gingrich has endorsed us. They both sent out email blasts encouraging their base to support us. Dinesh D'Souza is a really great supporter and his book, The United States of Socialism, is absolutely awesome. So we have a huge, huge base that is growing and we're excited, but we want to reach those middle of the road people instead of living in that echo chamber that's going to hinder us from bringing real change.
0: Where can our members find your content? It's So
1: it's all on fightsocialism.org, but over the next few months from September through November, we're going to be posting all throughout our social media pages on YouTube and a few other um, platforms these 10 testimonies followed up by other content from these really powerful survivors of socialism. I mean, they are like, I swear to God, in America, we sneak out of the house and like maybe meet up with a boy and like go to a party or go do something a little reckless and rebellious. But instead I'm interviewing these people on camera Venezuela, and they're talking about how they would lie to their parents and say, "I'm going to go to the library. I have a study group," and instead they'd go out and protest in the streets, protesting a a socialist dictatorship. That's the kind of people that are in these videos, and we're just really excited for them to go out. So please follow all of our stuff, all of our socialists, Young Americans Against Socialism, and go to our website, fightsocialism.org, to see if you want to become a contributing writer, if you want to join us, or if you want to do one of our internships that we have available. We're really excited to keep moving forward and growing. And and thank you, Ben, for having me on to talk about this.
0: Well, Morgan, we'll put all that information in the uh, description. I just have one more question before we we, uh, have to see you go, which is... What books would you recommend?
1: Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, big question. Big question. I would say Witness by Whitaker Chambers. Um I Believe by Douglas Hyde is over there. I'm trying to think of The Morality of Capitalism, which is a book by, by Fee. It's just like a collection of curated works. And huh, the law. Oh, um, I'm trying to think by Frederick Bastiat. Um, let me think. Let me think. I have to look at my pages. Um, 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 I have another good one. Oh, this is one of the best ones ever. So I do a lot of the testimonies and I meet a lot of people from actual, um, socialist countries. This guy, um, sent me this collection of works. There's two volumes. It's Castro's revolution myth and reality. It's the most detailed story of, of why people left Cuba of what was happening in Cuba, the imprisonments of political prisoners. It's a big one. It's a big one. And there's a second volume, but this is a really great one. Cuba, very, very great. So this is something I would recommend. And then my also, everybody out there in high school, what you can do is you can go to Hillsdale College and they have online courses you can take yourself through. And you can also go to Victims of Communism's website and they have an entire course. It'll take you maybe a week or so to take yourself through it. And it's the history of all communist countries. So really great resources for us to all be more equipped and fight back against this scourge of Marxism on the rise.
0: Well, Morgan Zerger's founder of Young Americans Against Socialism, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. <laughs>